Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Survey says, all right, what do the surveys say about our views as Americans um, on marriage? Views of marriage, views of cohabitation, views of parenting, child rearing. Um, I know this is not going to come as a surprise to you, but surveys say... We're talking here about really reputable surveys like Gallup and surveys that have been taken over time, asking the same questions for decades. Um, Surveys say that there's an increasing percentage of Americans, like three quarters of Americans, who think it's really okay, morally acceptable is the language here, for people to have sex um, who aren't married. When you uh, are at three quarters of a population believing something, that's a pretty overwhelming stat. That is a uh, that is a ship that uh, doesn't just need to be turned, you know, by one degree. That's a ship that is just way off course. And once you have uh, arrived at the place where you believe that sex between unmarried people is morally acceptable then you're going to come pretty quickly to the question of marriage and its relevance, why you would do it, who should do it, um, and the necessity of being married in order to have children and raise them together. All of these are connected conversations. And so where three-quarters of the population consider sex between unmarried men and women morally acceptable, um, nearly that same percentage— now believe it's morally acceptable to have a baby outside of marriage. Since um, 2001, when only like half of us thought that was okay, now 70% of us think it's okay. So this is a trend line in relationship to um, sex and marriage and children and the raising of children. These are trend lines that are going in the wrong direction. But there is um, there is a conversation that is going in the other direction, and it is the question of well-being. It is the question of satisfaction with life. Um, and in, in new data from Gallup gathered in just the last couple of years, married people are happier people. Marital status is now the strongest predictor of well-being for American adults. It's a stronger predictor of well-being than education. It's a stronger predictor of well-being than race or age or gender. When you compare across relationship status, adults who are married are far more happier. They're happiest when you um, allow them to evaluate their current and their future life. So in 2023... Married adults ages 25 to 50 
17 percentage points more likely to be thriving than adults who were never married um, or not married at the time. And communities, communities are happier, more satisfied when there are more married people living there and when children are being raised in married households. We have talked about the commodification of kids um, fairly regularly. We've talked about, you know, the way people have a sense that they have a right to a child when they want it, um, for as long as they want it, the kind they want. Um, (laughs) And we've talked about the kind of the lunacy of that and the dominant consumer mindset that drives that. But I want you to think about the power of marriage and where it comes from and who initiates it and who defines it. And as a Christian, how you not only know those truths, but how you are able to articulate them in conversations with others. Christians rightly should define marriage the same way it's been defined by the Bible all along. When a man leaves his father and his mother and becomes joined to his wife and the two become one flesh. I mean, literally, when he takes her into his tent, that's it. Marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman, and sex is a part of it. And sex has no place in any other relationship. Jesus so fully endorses this definition of marriage that in Matthew 19, he actually quotes from the Genesis account of marriage. When you hear somebody say Jesus never says anything about any of this, they're wrong. Jesus positively affirms God's design for human marriage in Matthew chapter 19, where he literally quotes the Genesis account of marriage. He affirms it is valid, still valid. And then he adds his own commentary. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus clearly believes that marriage is a God-ordained institution. Um, Yes, it is about a commitment to one another. Yes, it is about the ordering of human life, the birth and the nurture of children. Yes, it is about the way our societies are formed. But it's also this incredible um, vision of what it's going to be like in the kingdom of heaven where believers constitute the bride of Christ. So April um, Redliner is the executive director of Canavox. She has joined us on prior occasions. And um, Canavox, when you think about uh, the wedding at Cana, right? And Vox giving it a voice. um, Canavox is giving a voice to what the Bible says about marriage uh, in the culture today. And so I thought it would be good for April to just walk with us into the public meaning and the benefits of marriage. Like, what is the meaning of marriage? And how can we as Christians in the culture walk that out by faith? So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What is marriage? What is marriage in the culture today? What is the meaning of marriage? What does marriage mean to you? What does marriage mean to your kids and grandkids? What does it mean to the culture? 
April Redliner is the executive director of Cana Vox. You can find what we're talking about at Cana, C-A-N-A, Vox, V-O-X, CanaVox.com. Good morning, April. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, I am well. I am well. I um, I think that there's a lot of confusion about marriage. There's a lot of pain related to brokenness of marriage. We would call that divorce. Um, and then there are people who think it just doesn't matter. You don't need to be married. Children aren't entitled to a mom and a dad. Um, you know, a single a single mom is just as good. Um, as any other formula. I mean, that would be the way the culture would argue it. Um, You are helping us see and understand what marriage is and the benefits of marriage. So I thought it would be good maybe to just kind of have lesson one. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we could just like walk through like the the meaning and benefits of marriage. Yeah, no, you you exactly summed it up correctly. Like what has happened... um, you know, over the 50, the last 50 years or so, I would say there's been just a number of attacks on marriage and it really has eroded the, the general public's understanding of marriage. And I think, you know, there was a lot of taking for granted of what marriage was and why it was important. But for us at Canavox, really, this is like the defining moment for this is why we came, you know, we started Canavox really to help people understand what marriage is about. Um, and, and we have to first, in order to understand why it's important and you know, why we need it and why it's it's so good for society. Um, we really have to define the purpose of marriage to help us get a, this better understanding of why it, it needs to be between one man and one woman for life. Um, and, you know, we do this at our reading groups. Like I said, this is why we started Box, just so we could tell, we could talk to people about what is marriage and what is the public benefit and the private benefit of marriage. Um, so we have this session in our, in our, syllabus is called on the meaning of marriage actually we're 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 updating a little bit right now um it's we have two sessions we divided it out called on the public meaning of marriage and the private meaning of marriage but essentially it's it's on the meaning of marriage and what we do in this session um is we want to help our participants hone in on some of the key arguments regarding what marriage is what it is and why it matters for individuals families and societies um and really I guess in order to understand that is first we have to look at like what are the two definitions that are out there of marriage nowadays, right? Um, we have this one, this consent-based view of marriage, which basically is like the current narrative, right? That um, marriage requires consent and commitment, um, but not necessarily permanency. permanency. Uh, two people to join the union, though some people nowadays, right, they think it could be more. Um, and then there's this intense romantic emotion the person has to be your like number one person or sort of your soulmate, right? This person that you're, you know, one person. By contrast, what we're saying marriage is and has always been up until the last, you know, 50 years or so, um, is marriage is this comprehensive union or it's a conjugal view of marriage that requires three things. Um, union of hearts, minds, wills, and bodies between a man and a woman. Um, it's intrinsically ordered towards the creation of children. And it unites the man and woman permanently um, for life or lifelong or exclusively. And the key element, right, to this definition of marriage, this conjugal view of marriage, is that um, there's bodily union, right? Other friendships, other relationships can include all these other things that we talked about, union, uh, union of hearts, minds, wills, everything, right, we just talked about. But only in marriage, right, only in marriage and a man and a woman 
can achieve this true organic bodily union. Um, I'm taking notes. Um, so yeah. <laughs> really. It was really, really. Too much. No, I don't want to say too much. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm taking, I'm furiously taking notes because I do think that um, we don't hear this very often, April. And so I know you know that, um, and that's why Canavox exists. But if everyone else is furiously taking notes, you're not alone. I'm right there with you. Um, there is a current narrative in the culture of a consent view of marriage. Um, intensely romantic, emotional, mutual commitment, but of whatever the parties consent to and forever how long they consent. Like, right. That's and, the consent view. And essentially for a number of parties, right? It's not limited to two, even though, yeah. you know, right now people are saying, oh, no, it's only two. But they really, if you take that definition, it's it doesn't limit it to two. Um, it really so I, I had a conversation uh, recently with a person who is in the financial planning world, and um, and she said what's on the horizon for benefits managers is uh, people who want benefits, marital benefits, spousal benefits that their employer provides. They want those extended to multiple people. So this yeah. is this has very real world consequences when you start uh, gaming it, it out. The, it sure the biblical does. view, you're using the word conjugal as the... As this this biblical view of marriage, I think that's really good language because as soon as we use the word conjugal, we are thinking about a bodily union. We are thinking about the consecration of marriage um, in in this in the act of one man and one woman um, binding their bodies together um, in sexual union. That's a part of that. Yes, there's a union of a heart and a body, and maybe even resources and in, in other relationships. But in marriage, that is the only place that God provides for this conjugal union where the man and the woman become one flesh. And then you said a couple of other things. It's intrinsically ordered toward children, and then right. it's exclusive and binding. Um, that was Those were my notes. Did I get those right, and did I miss anything? No, you, you've got them right. Um, permanent exclusive, yes, intrinsically ordered. Um, and the other thing about the comprehensive view of, of marriage or this conjugal view of marriage, um, and, and you just said it basically by by talking about the biblical, you know, understanding of marriage, it really ex- exists by natural law. And it's not created by the state, even though like we talk about like the state allowing, you know, whatever types of marriage are allowing. Um, it's vitally important you know, for preservation of human race and common good of society, right? And it should be affirmed and supported by the law, this this conjugal view, right? Like, so like the state doesn't give us marriage, right? Marriage has existed before. It's a pre-political institution. Um, but the state really should recognize, it recognizes marriage and it should recognize marriage, right? Because stable marriages are good for all of society. They provide a safe environment for the bearing and rearing of the next generation. Um, and like you just said, like we're talking about all these real world implications of, you know, changing the definition of marriage. It's, you know, it's not it's not generally good for society when we're doing this. Um, but the one I thing think, that I just kind of go sorry, go ahead. Well, I was we have to take a very, very brief, very sure. brief pause and, and continue sure. our conversation in a minute. But I do think that the um, the stability conversation is a good one. The benefits to society conversation is a good one. And I think it's the one that. Um, we have very little equipping on. Um, uh, you know, it. I I feel pretty equipped on the sexuality conversation. Um, I even feel relatively well equipped uh, equipped on the parenting conversation. I mean, it's better for kids to have a mom and a dad. And even when you talk to um, uh, same 
sex couples, um, you you can say to them, okay, so if 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 you're going to make this argument that your children are as well off being raised by you um, as they are by a mother and a father, could you make the argument if it's two women that your kids would be as uh, just as well off being raised by two men? You being utterly replaced by two men, and 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 invariably they'll say no. They'll say no. They know they just know it's not true. Um, kids need a mom, and kids need a dad, and kids need kids. You know, ideally need their mom and their dad living in the same house together. We don't live in an ideal world. I recognize brokenness. Everybody listening knows I'm raising six steps. So obviously, you know, I'm in an environment where marriage has to be redeemed, and redeeming marriage is a huge part. Of um, of what Jim and I, uh, you know, are about in our own life and the lives of our kids. So we're going to continue our conversation with April Redliner here in just a minute. She is the executive director of Canavox. Yes, be te- texting your questions in. Happy to um, get to those as we can. We are going to focus on this stability question, the stabilizing impact that marriage has in a culture, and therefore the destabilizing impact that a, a either later marriage, uh, marriage put off or marriage shunned in a culture, like what that produces as well. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. What season of life are you in right now? Season of life. There are lots of ways to answer that question. So what season of life are you in right now? You may feel as if you are in a season of hopeful expectation. Or a season of desperation. You may feel as if you are in a dry season or a rainy season or maybe a season of abundance. Maybe this is a transitional season for you. What season of life are you in right now? Let me say first that you're not alone in whatever season you are in. And let me also say that God wants to meet you and be with you in that current season, even in that season of wilderness or dryness. And God wants to lead you through that current season to the next one. Discover what God is doing in your life now and where he's leading next at this year's Set Apart Conference for Women. It's March 8 and 9 at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can register today at setapartconference.com. That's setapartconference.com. Who do you have um, to love? Who are the children that God has put under the scope of your discipleship? How have they entered your life? Um, The stability of the culture in which we live is largely dependent on the creation of families, intact families. But you and I now live generationally in a culture of broken marriage. And so what is it going to look like to redeem that? Um, not only to redeem marriage, but to redeem for children a vision of marriage that uh, produces a stability in the culture. That is all a part of the conversation we're having with April Redliner. She's the executive director of Canavox. You can find resources we're talking about today at Canavox, C-A-N-A-V-O-X dot com. April, let's get into the stability conversation. Yeah. Like, what good is marriage in the culture? Yeah, well, I will say um, it does a great deal of good. You just mentioned some statistics at the beginning of your, you know, setup for this conversation uh, about, you know, happiness and and um, 
the uh, um, you know success rates for married families, right? Like when people are married, they just do better. We know this way. We have statistics. Brad Brad Wilcox's new book is talking about all these statistics. It's called Get Married. It has some great information on that. But um, in our in our reading session, and you all can see this if you go to our website. It's a video that's available, and it really provides a lot of this information. But I'm going to give you a quote from it because I think it's such a good quote. Um, it's from Ryan Anderson's video. Uh, and it's called, uh, or, so here's the quote. The quote says, from a public policy perspective, marriage is about uniting a man and a woman with each other as husband and wife to be a father and mother to any children their sexual union produces. Whenever a baby is born, there's always a mother nearby. She's normally in the same room. That's a fact of biology. The question is whether a father will be close by and if, if so, for how long. Marriage increases the odds that a father of a child will be committed to a child's mother and that the two of them committed to each other will be committed to their child. That is a big deal, right? Because we talk about rates of fatherlessness, single parenting, all this, right, that are happening these days because of the erosion of marriage. If we had a stronger marriage culture, I think we would uh, we would have less of these other things that we're talking about. Um, but but that is that is the one of the primary um, uh, important reasons that we need a strong marriage culture, right? To make sure that mother and father stay committed to one another for the long Absol haul, right? Raising children. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have me thinking immediately of all the people that I know who have a father wound and they have right. a father wound because they have a father who in one way, shape or form was absent, um, right. who, who chose either not to know them at all or not to continue to parent them um, or in some cases to, you know, to abuse them. The father wound culture um, is is huge. And and then it becomes really, really difficult for people to have an accurate view of God as father when they are so desperately wounded um, by either the, you know, the disappearance or the abuse of their uh, of their of their dad, um, yeah, it is all wound up then, together for sure. And then, and then the other part is that so right when we have uh, the erosion of the marriage culture, when we have kids without parents, when there's parents, when parents aren't unable, they're unable to care for their children. Somebody has to step in and care for the children. Who is that? Who steps in and cares for children when the parents aren't able to? The government, right? So it's often the government. I mean, sometimes there's the family, but it's often the state. Right. So then there we're talking about how it affects our, our society. And we know and Ryan Anderson talks about this um, in his uh, his video, but also in his piece, uh, in his Truth Overruled book, countries with strong marriage culture, they have a greater economic growth, stronger workforce, lower levels of childhood poverty and fewer social problems than other countries with a weaker marriage culture. Hmm. These I are mean, such important. They're just yeah. such important things to understand. Um, talk with us about, uh, because obviously there's just a lot of folks, April, who did not grow up in a intact two-parent household. They don't have a model for what you're talking about. Part of what I see you guys doing at Canavox is casting that vision, helping people who were not raised in, you know, by their mom and their dad in the covenant of marriage. Like, we got to learn it somewhere. So can you talk right. about that? Yeah, I mean, I think what we try to show is, first of all, you know, even though we talk about these statistics and we say like, you know, it's these things are, you know, there's certain bad things that come with this child, probably all these things. We always want to look towards 
like the hopeful and positive side. These aren't doomsday facts or statistics. Um, these are things that we need to know and understand how to react to them, right? And try to build a stronger marriage culture. And like you said, how do you do that if you haven't seen it? How can you model it? Well, I think, um, you know, I think going and there's, we, we try to show examples of strong marriages and strong families without everyone, you know, being perfect because no one is perfect, right? As we know. Um, but I think if we can find good examples out there of good, strong families, one that comes to mind to me is one that we like to rely on a lot. Um, do you know Ben Watson? He's a formal N former NFL oh, yeah. player. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. What a great example of a strong, loving family. Um, so I think looking for good examples like that in the culture, and there are, we have them, they're there. Following those and, and trying to model those, again, knowing that not everyone is perfect and no family is perfect, um, but and, and knowing that all families struggle too. Um, but trying to stay together in the struggles, um, I think a strong, you know, if we can develop a stronger family marriage culture that will help people when they are struggling to realize that, you know, you stick with marriage even during the tough times and not, you know, try to get out of it. You know, the, the current culture makes it easy, right? It's not um, permanent. So we can get out of it easily with no no force, to, no fault divorce really um was one of those attacks that I talked about on marriage culture that really helped pave the way for all these other attacks and other ways to make, you know, people think marriage isn't so important. Um, <clears throat> but we know, yeah. we know the consequences of that. So it is helpful to just focus on those positive role models out there that are making marriage work. Really good um, question on the text line. You know, is, is there a country out there that, um, you know, has a stable or strong marriage culture? And the answer to that question is, yeah, there are places where um, there's a strong marriage culture, and yet it's also not um, a Christian or biblical view, worldview. And so when we use the term marriage, you do have to look at how that's being defined in a particular culture. Um, but there are places around the world where there are strong marriage cultures. They just don't happen to be Western European Christian. Like, was that fair to say? Yeah, you know, I think Belgium— um, All right, we we're going to do more research on that. Hungary, sure, sorry, I, I, I think actually Hungary. think I think Hungary. I think Hungary has a really strong marriage and family culture, and they're doing lots of things in the government to help sort of encourage foster families. that. Yeah. yeah. So why don't um, April, you and I, I'll take that as a homework assignment, and you might as well, um, because sometimes when we talk about uh, having, you know, being able to point to something. It does help if people are like, all right, well, I don't know. Is it the Netherlands? I mean, you know, those people have great lives. Like if they have a strong marriage culture, like, right, we just might look around for some of that, um, recognizing that um, there are places where there might be a quote unquote strong marriage culture because uh, the state almost requires it. And that's different than what yeah. we're talking about in terms of uh, freedom uh, here in the United States. So we have to leave it right there. April, will you come back? Oh, yeah. There's so much to talk right. about with marriage. <clears throat> There's so much to talk about. Thank you so much. That's April Redliner. You can find the resources that we talked about today, the links to the to the videos, the books that we discussed at Canavox, C-A-N-A-V-O-X dot com. I'm always happy to send you the direct link. You know how to get me. Just text me, 877-933-2484. Craig Groeschel is uh, one of our favorite conversation partners. He's a pastor He's going to encourage us to think ahead. So, um, you know, when you think back, when you think back over time, were there places, there were there decisions that you made that, you know, if you had had um, a little forethought, if you had thought ahead, 
you might have landed in a different place uh, with a different decision and therefore be in a different place today. Well, how do we make decisions today? How do we think ahead to help us um, land on that God-honoring life we want tomorrow? The book is Think Ahead, and Craig Groeschel joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Well, everybody knows the YouVersion Bible app. We love YouVersion here at Faith Radio. You can actually find some cool Faith Radio stuff on YouVersion. Have you ever wondered who created the YouVersion Bible app? Did you know it was a local church? Yep, that's right. Life Church. Craig Groeschel is the founding and senior pastor of Life Church. They happen to be the very innovative church behind things like the free YouVersion Bible app. Craig's also a New York Times bestselling author. He's written lots of books. Um, today, he's talking with us today about um, his most recent book, Think Ahead, Seven Decisions You Can Make Today for the God-Honoring Life You Want Tomorrow. Craig, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. So glad to be with you. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to honor God in my life. Everybody listening wants to honor God in their lives, and yet every single one of us knows that there are areas of our lives where we don't fully honor God. So thank you for engaging in this really important conversation. My guess is even by, you know, just a few weeks into the new year, at least some of us um, have already failed uh, to, like, make good on the choices that we, (laughs) we really thought we were committing to this year. So thank you for this help. Think again. Um, you offer seven decisions that we could make today for a God-honoring life that we want tomorrow. There is a story that really kind of ignites this conversation. So can you tell us, um, well, I will describe it this way, about Spider-Man and the two pieces of what will sound like very historical pieces of equipment, a typewriter and a payphone? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, I'd like to say I'm happy to tell you that story, but I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you that story. <laughs> and uh, you're right, Carmen, we, we are uh, uh, getting into the new year right now, and a lot of people recognize the good intentions we had at the beginning did not pan out. And that's a lot of what the book is about, uh, really talking about how can we make some decisions today that will actually stick to pre-decide. And uh, that that story you're asking about was an embarrassing moment years ago. Before starting Life Church, I had the honor of serving as an associate pastor at um, a historic United Methodist Church, the oldest Methodist church in Oklahoma. And uh, it was uh, a downtown, kind of a beautiful historic building. At the time, you mentioned the typewriter. This was this will date me, but this was before computers. I was actually in seminary and had a, um, a paper that was due that I typed out and left it uh, at the office instead of at home. And I had to drive early morning, almost two hours to get to seminary. And I realized I didn't have my seminary paper. So talk about bad decision-making. I drove to the office super early and the key cards, oddly enough, I didn't know at the time, but they didn't open up uh, at 6 a.m. in the morning. And so I thought to myself, I always left the window open because nobody would be dumb enough to try to climb on the outside of the building and open up my office window. I thought, (laughs) dumb decision, I just climb on the outside of the church building and uh, open up the window, grab my paper, come out the door. Well, I managed to climb the outside of the church building and get caught on the ledge of the window only to discover that somebody had locked my window and I was completely stuck too afraid 
to go back and was just sitting there in my you know 1990s version of topsiders and khaki pleated pants stuck on the outside of the second story of uh, the church building uh no cell phones i had to wait until somebody came by and they called the fire department to help get me down but that is um one of the more embarrassing um stories and evidence that we can all be really bad decision makers and that's kind of the introduction to what the book is about i want to try to help people make better decisions and some <clears throat> a big part of making better decisions is pre-deciding so if you could like roll back the clock and you know, make some decisions in advance that would have maybe led to not getting up first thing early in the morning and not having what you thought you had with you. Part of it might have been, you know, you had a lot going on in your life, newly married, full-time seminary student, full-time pastor. That seems like too much for anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, so we're going to certainly extend you some grace, and um, thank you for sharing the story. There are some enemies to effective decision-making. Can Mm -hmm. you tell us what those are? Well, there, there's so many. One thing is, I, I think most of us really underestimate how many decisions that we make in a day. I still find this hard to believe, but research shows, and there's, I've found a lot of places that document it, that they estimate we make about 35,000 decisions a day. That, it's mind-blowing to think about all of the back and forth, you know, nonstop, we're actually making decisions, what to say, where to go, what to eat, what not to eat, what to wear, on and on and on and on. And one of the big enemies is that we are just like if we um, carry boxes all around all day long, our body gets tired in the same way. When we're making decisions all day long, our brain gets tired and experts Mm. call that decision fatigue. And that's one of the reasons why, Carmen, you might uh, you may be better than I am. I can make pretty good decisions all day long at work and then go home and make a dumb decision. I might be short with my wife or might eat the wrong, you know, too much of the wrong thing or um, be impatient with my kids. And, and the reality is we have decision fatigue. Uh, another big enemy of good decision making is just that, you know, we're afraid. It, like even a lot of Christians would be afraid of missing God's will, afraid of doing the, the wrong thing. Uh, and then emotionally, a lot of times we end up making very permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. We feel angry or anxious or nervous or excited, and, and we do the wrong thing. And so that's one of the reasons, as I analyzed my own mistakes in decision-making, and then as a pastor for um, over three decades now, just working with people, you know, what is our life? For the most part, our lives are the sum total of the decisions that we make. And if we're not making great decisions, how can we make better ones? Um, And the whole idea just of pre-deciding, taking as many categories in our lives where if we look at you know, what do we value? Based on what we value, what do we want to do when we face a situation? So knowing that we're going to face certain situations over and over again, we can pre-decide to do some helpful things. I could have had a checklist before leaving for seminary. The day before I leave, you know, do you have your paper? Do you have everything you need? And so I I want to try to help our readers um, make some pre-decisions that will help set them up for honoring God and, and living a life that really does please Him. That's so good. <clears throat> We're talking with Pastor Craig Groeschel. Um, he is a New York Times bestselling author. He is the author, among other things, of Think Ahead, Seven Decisions You Can Make Today for the God-Honoring Life You Want Tomorrow. More here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic. Sign up for the Verse of the Day email at MyFaithRadio.com. 
Continuing our conversation now with Pastor Craig Groeschel. The book is Think Ahead, Seven Decisions You Can Make Today for the God-Honoring Life You Want Tomorrow. Um, All right, we've talked a little bit about pre-deciding, and then you frame for us these seven decisions, and you frame them as statements. They're like declarations about myself. Um, I will be ready. I will be devoted. I will be faithful. I will be an influencer. I will be generous. I will be consistent. I will be a finisher. Talk with me about that framework. I, I, I feel confident there's something behind the power of this, of just framing it that way. I will. I, I, thank you for noticing that. So, so much of what we do is because of what we think of ourselves. So our, our mm. actions tend to reflect uh, our identity. And so if I think to myself, I, um, I'm a procrastinator or, you know, I'm not good with details or, um, you know, I always do the wrong thing. I give in to temptation. That's a reflection of my identity. And so what I want to try to do is renew my mind. You know, Romans 12 tells us that don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I want to pre-decide what type of a person that I am. We, we do what, you do what you do because of what you think of you. I do what I do because of what I think of me. And so I want to declare by faith some values that are consistent with the values that Jesus teaches you know, I should live by. And so I will be ready is the first one. Uh, this is one that is incredibly important because if we don't recognize we have a spiritual enemy and we're under attack and, and face temptations all day long, we are going to be vulnerable and give in to temptations all day long. So knowing that we're more vulnerable, I'm more vulnerable to some things than you would be, Carmen, you're more vulnerable to some things than I would be. I want to be really, really honest about where I'm vulnerable. You are only as strong as you are honest. And then I want to set up and pre-decide to keep myself away from those places that tend to, to, to trip me up. And so I get really transparent, really vulnerable in the book and talk about um, how do we set up safeguards in our life to stay away um, from temptation. And each of the chapters kind of do that very same thing. Um, and again, this, the positive statement is let's start there with identity, who we are in Christ. We're not what we did. We're not what others think of us. We're not where we failed. We are who God says we are. So I want to start with identity. And then out of a proper God-honoring identity, the actions will flow. One of maybe the most vulnerable places in the book, both for you and then what you provoke me as the reader to engage in, in terms of my own self-examination, comes in um, the portion of the book where you talk about, you know, our weak spot. Mm -hmm. Um, Our spiritual enemy is not ineffective and not indiscriminate. He has a strategic Mm -hmm. plan aimed to hit you where you're weakest. Mm -hmm. Um, And that goes on to into a conversation about um, what, you have done in your life the things you decided ahead of time to eliminate anything that mm-hmm. might pose a temptation um, or even um, give the appearance that you are being tempted. And for you, it's in the particular area of, um, you know, your relationship with your wife. I, I just mm-hmm. so appreciate how honest you are. I thought the list you provided in terms of the things that you have done to guard your marriage. I was thinking Mm -hmm. here um, about, you know, where it talks about in Hebrews, like we're going to just fiercely defend the marriage bed. That doesn't Mm -hmm. just mean I'm going to defend my own marriage. I'm going to defend yours as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And what does that look like to actually, you know, be people who in a a culture that's 
clearly not interested in defending marriage, um, right. but attacking it, you know, at all points. Like, I just so thank you. Thank you for your mm-hmm. list. Thank you for um, the gift. I mean, you when you say um, some of the things that you've done, that you're never alone with a person of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. I just want to thank you for that. I know that um, you and I have both experienced criticism over the course of our lives for having that as like a rule that we seek to maintain. Right. Um, it's hard in a in a corporate culture. It's even hard in a in a culture of like you know going on the road to speak and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't just guard your marriage; that guards my marriage, and that guards right. Christ and His witness. Mm-hmm. And so, thank you for that. Um, you know, I don't travel alone. That means that travel is expensive for you. And right. so mm-hmm. I know that that puts a, there's an extra burden there. The, um, the counsel that you give here, I mean, I know it's, you're claiming it yourself, but this, um, this practice of having all of your devices, your computer, your iPhone, your iPad, um, locked down and transparent, mm-hmm. not only, um, having blocks on there, but a bunch of people have your passwords and can monitor what you've looked at. Mm-hmm. That is, that is um it's vulnerable um but it's also it also reminds me that like we were designed to live in community with one another um right. and you're really honoring that so i just i just thank you for that whole list in this section here's what you then say the devil is coming for you he's going to try to steal your joy your peace kill your marriage and your friendships and destroy your reputation and your witness so watch and pray be on your guard because you are not as strong as you think when um when we think about our weak spot um, thank you. I just, I just really wanted to say thank you over that section and then point you to and have you talk with us about the fact that this is a workbook. This is mm-hmm. not just a book we read. This is a book we work. Talk about, talk about that aspect of, um, of Think Ahead. Well, I, I, I appreciate you that sharing some of those values because, it, you know, a lot of people do criticize those standards and it, it, this is designed to, to really help the reader be honest to take a moment and look at you know where are we falling short um where is there a, a difference between the life god calls us to and the life that we're actually living and in in that section of just kind of being ready one of the things i want to help say and i've said it already but you you are only as strong as you are honest and we are all vulnerable to something and i really want to help the reader just to be super transparent and then we're going to get really really practical um, one of the statements that I say over and over again is, you know, is why would I resist a temptation in the future if I have the power to eliminate it today? So if we can be honest about where we're vulnerable and get help, it's never it's never a weakness, a sign of weakness to get help. It's a sign of wisdom. If we can say I'm vulnerable here, then we can create the safeguards. And what's somewhat embarrassing is to, you know, why do I have my all of my computers locked down. And the reason is because I could be vulnerable to look at something that I don't want to look at. So at this age and stage in life, I'm not nearly as vulnerable as I was 20 years ago, not at all. But in the wrong moment, the wrong time, I could make the wrong choice. And so why would I fight that off three months from now when I'm not expecting it, if I could close that door and eliminate it today? And this is the type of journey I really want to take the, the reader on is let's just get real Let's find out where we're making bad decisions, and then let's plan ahead. If we can plan to close a door that we don't want to go through, throw away the key, let's do it. If we can at least put up barriers, let's put the barriers up. If we can bring in the right people who will pray for us, support us, hold us accountable, let's do that. And what's interesting is 
when we're honest like that, people don't tend to, you know, you, you, there's, there's something, um, there's something attractive about being honest. We're all weak somewhere. We all need help somewhere. And so let's stop hiding it. Let's think ahead. Let's pre-decide what we can do um, with some planning, with some prayerfulness, with the right people. We can create the systems that will really help us to make God-honoring decisions. And that can be life-changing. A successful God-honoring life isn't the result of three or four big decisions. It's the result of thousands upon thousands of small daily decisions that add up to a life that either honors God or, or doesn't. And so let's work to make it make one that honors him. Okay, um, now I'm going to impose upon um, the influence that you have. Um, we want an introduction to Bobby, the, the mm-hmm. brain behind you version. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Will I you can, make that I possible? Can, I can make that possible. Bobby is uh, one of my best friends in the world and uh, one of the smartest guys in the world. And most every good idea... Most every good idea around to, here wasn't mine. It was his. Yeah. yeah. I didn't try to pronounce his last name because it has a lot of vowels in it. Bobby Grunewald. Oh, that's so simple. All right. Yep. Um, Grunewald. Um, all right. We, we want to meet him. We love him already. You could just tell him that. Faith Radio is a I'll big tell. fan of you version. And so um, thank you to you, to the church. Thank you for having a pastor of, of innovation. Um and creativity, like, that's so cool. So thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Thank you for being such a faithful husband and pastor. Um, and thank you for the conversation today over Think Ahead. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Carmen. Thanks for being a, a bold witness. And I will make the introduction to Bobby Grunewald. Easy to say, easy to do. Yay! That is so exciting. That's so exciting. All right. Um, that is Pastor Craig Groeschel. You can connect with him online. If you want the direct links, you know how to get them. Just text me at 877-933-2484. I'll connect you to Think Ahead, seven decisions you can make today for the God-honoring life you want tomorrow. And I'll connect you um, with all of Craig's socials. And yes, we do have some Faith Radio um, devotionals on the U version, and so be praying for the way that God is expanding the reach of this ministry through um, the U version platform. It is really genuinely um, a gift. <clears throat> All right, what do you need to pre-decide today? Like, what do you need to pre-decide right now in order to honor God? What do you need to pre-decide in terms of prayer or Maybe getting into the Bible before you get out there into the world. What do you need to pre-decide in terms of what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or where you're going to go or who you're going to be with or how you're going to carry yourself? What do you need to pre-decide today? Maybe you need to pre-decide about the use of language that you know you fall into. Maybe you need to pre-decide to uh, yield to the Holy Spirit at work within you as a believer Maybe you need to pre-decide to not take a step to the right or to the left, but to stay on the narrow path. What do you need to pre-decide today um, in terms of what you know is coming and what you don't know is coming, <laughs> right? Because there's some stuff coming today that's going to squeeze you. And what you have poured into your heart and your mind um, is what's going to come out. And so you know what I'm going to recommend here. Be sure you get into the word of God before you get out there into the world that God so loves. What I hope comes out of me when the world squeezes me, and it does, right? world squeezes me the same way it squeezes you. I hope that what comes out is grace and truth. I want to be full 
of the spirit of the living God. I mean, everybody's full of something. You're full of something. I want you to be full of the spirit of the living God, the grace and truth that filled up Jesus. I want that to be um, what fills you and I up today. All right, go out there and be a gospel witness. You are an ambassador of the king and the kingdom. You are filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Go be shiny, right? Let the light of Christ not only illuminate you, but shine through you today. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.